Hi, welcome to My Creativity, the podcast about being creative and producing output. I'm your host, Sorry. I reveal how I work, my projects, my process, well, my creativity, from planning and goal setting to how I stay accountable for my output, to the way ideas pop into my head, and the frameworks I use to stimulate my creativity and formalize it. Each week, I go over my last week's goals, and at the end of the episode, I put forward new goals that I'm going to achieve by the end of the week. And it's this way that I try to stay accountable each week. And I like to invite everyone to do the same, write your goals down, send them in to me, and I'll read them out. And that way we can work together towards our goals. So first up, July has started. It's the beginning of a new quarter for me. It's uh, in Australia, it's the financial year has changed. And so I've come up with new quarterly goals. These quarterly goals I pulled down from my annual priorities. Just as a bit of a recap then, my annual priorities that I set for this year, ending in September, was to create more podcasts which I've done, of course, and I'm continuing to produce those podcasts. Create more content. So I've written a couple of books. Uh, I am also now going to record an audio book and so on. Establish alliances, friends. I think I've got a couple of extra friends in the creative community. So that's nice. Uh, Establish paying customers. So I've got a shop. I'm going to... And this is an interesting thing here because I want to be a, um, you know, my my purpose here, my top level mission is to create a collaborative entertainment network of creators of wonderful stories supported by patrons, not ads. So if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to start working towards what that means. It's all well and good for me to just sort of create content and that would be part of the entertainment network part of it. But it wants to be collaborative and I want to be able to get patrons that means I want people to subscribe and or do one-off payments and I want them to feel as if they're getting value for their money and I want them to feel as if they're collaborating in the development of the, 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 the entertainment that's being produced, whether that be information or stories or games or who knows what. So I'm going to have to come up with some sort of a... I said specify an app, but what I really mean is, is you know, specify my product. And it's probably going to have to have an app with it in order to be able to reach around the world and for all those people to be able to collaborate in a reasonable way. I'm going to have to have some kind of bit of software which is going to help with that. Trying to do that in any other sort of manual way, I don't think anyone would even consider that a possibility. So I drew down from that for my quarter. So my quarter quarterly goals then, I'm going to specify this app which I've just been talking about. And that's because I've done or significantly move towards the whole creating content, uh, podcasts and content and and so on. But I've got this one last thing, is to actually figure out what this collaborative entertainment network of creators supported by patrons is going to look like. And I'm well aware that this is going to be an evolving thing. What I'm looking to try and do here is what we'd call a minimal viable product. So that is, what is the the basic first baby step that can be taken towards 
satisfying people's desire for inspiration, creativity, and entertainment. Next goal then is to publish book two. I finished writing book two, of course, as we know. Uh, audio book one. So I'm going to produce an audio book of book one because I love audio books. Most books I read nowadays are actually in audio book form. And that's because I spend a fair bit of time commuting, driving about the place in various ways. And so I've got a lot of time where I'm sitting in a car or on a train uh, or I'm riding my bike. Much easier to listen to the book than try to read it. Uh, the, by the end of September, I'm going to be running 16 kilometers on the weekend. I want to develop my, my shop a bit further, some sales, you know, get it out there. And I need to finish releasing Exit Plan 3. So that's for the quarter. July then, I have to come up with, I've had to come up with new July goals. Obviously, I take some of the things out of the quarter into the month. So one of my goals, of course, is to always review my monthly goals. That's staying in there. Publishing book two is what I'm doing this month. So I'm through the draft process now. Uh, after that, I need to do the format and third draft. Although really, because uh, don't worry about it, it's a, it's a drafting, it's a it's a editing process. I'm going to be running 10 kilometers this month on the weekends regularly. I'm going to release episode, uh, you know, release ep exit plan three, episode one and on. Uh, with exit plan three, I'm taking a bit more time to produce and develop these show the each episode. I feel that the the content in season three is that bit more complex and more uh, involved than the first two seasons. It needs a bit more attention. And in July, I'm going to start spitballing ideas for my app. I keep calling it an app, but you know what I mean. So, last week's goals. Wow, so many goals here to go through. But the monthly goals turned to weekly goals. And so I've set, I had some goals from last week. And they were to come up with my quarterly goals, which I've done. Run 10, 10 kilometers. I didn't do that because the flu struck our house. And this weekend has been spent uh, recuperating. Edit the Casey Whalen interview. I have done that. That is brilliant. So Casey Whalen, if you haven't heard, is the writer and producer, the creator of We're Alive. It's an audio drama that was originally released in 2009. It was amongst the first audio dramas. Uh, it is a, a particularly immersive and very well produced with, with lots of good voice actors, sound effects and music and a great storyline. Coming up in September is a latest edition of that called Gold Rush. And Casey was so kind as to interview, submit to my interview. So next week, you're going to hear that and you're going to hear about how he does things, what's on his plate, uh, what is a bit of his history and so on. It's quite exciting. So chapter eight, book two draft. Yes, I finished my chapter eight, book two draft. So that's wonderful. Edit 2001, A Space Odyssey for Space Brains. Yes, that was released yesterday. If you don't know what Space Brains is, it's one of my podcasts. It's a movie review show where my co-host and I joy watch science fiction movies to tell you what is good and what is great about science fiction and movie making. We go into particularly how you can just enjoy watching these movies and stories. We're not there to try and tell you what's wrong with these things. We're there to tell you how to get the most enjoyment from all of them. Uh, recording Judgment Day. Yeah, I've got this really, I've got a good, I figured out the tempo and I've got a good uh, verse recording now. So that's great. Uh, some additional there, I've 
told you I was doing some work with, with my wife setting up finances. We've read this lovely book called The Barefoot Investor. If you're in Australia, you've probably heard of it. If you're not in Australia, you should probably read it. I mean, it is a bit specific to Australia in many ways, but the, the fundamentals would be applicable anywhere. And we are doing that to sort out our financials because we're trying to build a house. Also, we don't want to retire as poor people. Okay, so there you go. That's, that's my goals I completed last week. At the end of the show, I'll go through what next week holds for me. And again, I'll, I'll say, if you're following along, you should be writing down goals. You should have at least an annual plan, like some, some strategic position you want to find yourself in at the end of the year so that you can start working back from that to work out what you've got to create, what you've got to think about, what sort of steps you've got to take in order to reach your goal. Now, I've got a 10-year mission. 10 years, it's sort of a bit arbitrary, really. It's just a nice round number. It could be seven or it could be a 15-year, whatever. But the idea is to have a, a long-term position you want to find yourself in, and that informs your annuals, and that informs your quarterlies, and you pull it down to your month and weekly goals and so on. So write those down, send them in to me. We'll work along together. Now this week I wanted to talk about some of the some of the ways I've gained inspiration for some of the stories I've written. Uh, now you've heard I you know, obviously produced this exit plan. I've, I've written exit plan book one and book two is in editing at the moment. Book three will be out before the end of the year. Prior to that though, I have written an as yet unpublished uh, epic fantasy and a um, what do you call them? I guess an let's call it an urban fantasy. Slash, I was sort of thinking of it more as a superhero story, but I don't, I don't gel with superhero stories that well. So it's more, more urban fantasy, I guess. And then also another story, um, which is kind of magic in the contemporary setting as well. And I've also had some recent inspiration. I want to write this hard sci-fi novel, and it's going to be mind-blowing for me, anyway. I would hope that other people really will also find it mind-blowing, but at least I'm going to find it mind-blowing. And that's a good place to start, I think. So where have I gotten some of my inspiration? Where have I sought out ideas? How have I thought of these things? And I think everyone has their little moments, but I like to take particular note and pay attention to things and wonder how that can grow into a story or what the story behind it is. So a really great example is on... Uh, in Exit Plan Season 1, there's an episode where the character is sitting, he's, he's just fought or just seen a, a vampiric monster called the Moroi defeated. And he's jumped on the train, you know, heading home from that. And he's, he's kind of all a bit freaked out by the fact that he just saw something that should not be. And he looks across and he's wondering, you know, how, how common are these monsters? How, how many people know about this stuff? And he looks across and the woman next to him is, is writing a, um, he's going through a notebook and studying blood spatter diagrams, much like Dexter, if you, if you know the Dexter story. And so that gets him thinking about other vampires, you know, and other mythical beings and wondering, you know, how many people actually know about this? Oddly enough, that was a real event. No, I didn't see the Maroi get blown up, but I was on the train going into work one morning and I often have a bit of a surreptitious look about to sort of see what everyone else is doing and see the different characters because there's a lot of people that look, I guess you'd say, ordinary. You know, they're wearing sort of basic business casual clothes and sitting there reading a novel or looking at their phone. But 
I see uh, a strange number of people reading religious texts. Uh, I say it's a strange number because it's it's just really noticeable that someone will sit down next to me and they'll pull out a little Bible or a little um, textbook discussion on theology, which I found quite unusual. But this one morning, I was sitting there and a woman was going through a notebook and she was listening to notes on her phone. I, I'm guessing she's listening to notes on her phone. And I was, her notebook had blood spatter patterns and you know, little notes. You know, if, if it looks like this, then it was from a slashing wound. If it's like this, from it's a deep puncture. It's from this. It's been. Uh, it's a rip, um, like a laceration from a, a rough-edged object and from a sharp. You know, all this sort of quite gruesome notes and little hand-drawn blood diagrams, if you like. And I just looked at it and I thought, wow, like, I immediately thought, well, she's going, there's a number of hospitals on the train route uh, and there's a, you know, a university uh, and a couple of technical colleges on the train's path. So it's not terribly surprising. I often see people studying various different subjects, accounting, physio, and, and so on. But it just particularly struck me at that moment because I was thinking about exit plan story. And there she was drawing blood spatter diagrams. And it made me think, well, what if, what if she's actually studying because she's, she's actually tracking vampires? And so she's going through learning about blood and how it acts in you know, injuries and death and life because that's how she's trying to discover the identity of or, or locate vampires. Uh, it, it really uh, it made me think of a few different storylines and so forth, but I decided to incorporate that into Exit Plan because it was just it was too good. Another thing that went into Exit Plan was uh, this Maroy encounter. He sees it because he gets on the train, and, and several times he gets on behind this fellow who's, who just seems... Uh, dazed, he's out of it all the time. He he stands around wondering what to do, and it it pisses his, the main character off because the start of the story he's a bit of a dick, and then he notices someone else getting on the train, and he thinks, oh, what's the connection between these two? What's going on? Or what if the other person is looking at me, wondering what my connection to this fellow is? And so he decides to follow them to see what's going on. And I've I've had this experience where I miss my normal train, and so I get on a different train. And I'll spot someone, I'll stand there usually because they've got you know, bright pink hair or they're wearing a particular outfit that's quite notable. And then after work that day, I'll get on the train at the normal time and find myself sitting across from this same person coming home. And I think, gee, that's really odd coincidence that I happened to be late to the train that morning and saw them get on and now they're catching the same train back and I dismiss it. And maybe the, uh, another day later, I get a train earlier than what I'd normally get. And I see this, this same person sitting in about the same spot. And I'll get the later train and they're on the train home. I'm thinking, what are the chances that this same person will come in early or late at the same time I'm coming in early and late? And it got me thinking that um, they might also notice that and wonder what I'm doing. So there you go. So that, that was kind of a bit of thing. And as for the, the victim of the Maroi, I said in this story that one of their hallmarks is they stand in doorways looking confused. And there's actually that's actually a real effect. Passing through a doorway, and I'm sure you've probably noticed this yourself, when you pass through from one area to another through a door or an arch or, or some sort of um, visual 
barrier or queue, it actually wipes your short-term memory. I mean, how many times have you walked into the kitchen and then you just suddenly look around and go, what, what was I doing? What did I come here to get? And then you, you pick up and you go, oh, I guess I was getting a drink of water. And then you go back out. And when you walk back out of the kitchen into the living room or wherever it was, you suddenly go, oh, that's right. I needed to put the toast on or get the milk. It's a remarkable effect. And if you pay attention to it, you'll find it happens a lot. And you'll see it happens, particularly people getting off trains. If a person is getting off the train and they are thinking about, not about their destination, but they're thinking about uh, maybe what they did yesterday or something, they'll often momentarily be confused and not sure where to go. Even though every single day they get off the train, turn left, go the escalator and up. You'll, you'll spot people, they'll get off the train and they'll, they'll pause and do that little looking left and right trying to reorient their brain. It's because every time you pass through the train door, you will you get your short-term memory wiped. And that's all well and good if you're thinking actively thinking about where you're going or you're going, okay, I'm getting off the train. Oh, there's the escalator. I've got to go over there. I've got to go. And it's in your head as you go. You remember it. But if you're, if you're otherwise distracted, keep your eye out for it next time you're getting on and off a train or off a bus. You'll spot people do it. They'll step off and then not know what they're doing. Okay, and now I want to talk then, so that's exit plan. That's a, a bunch of stuff that I got for exit plan. And I did this epic fantasy story. And I actually I actually kind of started writing it in high school. I then totally discarded everything I wrote in high school beyond uh, some really basic concepts. And I've re rewrote it some years ago. And this is, the, this is the story that I wrote and got ready and I sent out to a few agents got it rejected and then told myself that I wasn't really interested in writing stories and I wasn't it wasn't serious and um, it's not a problem I just did it for fun I'm going to be going back and finishing that process and getting it published but it came from much of the content much of the world building is actually from a D&D game I used to run in high school and into university so that's where much of the world building was done and it was interesting from a it was a Dungeons and Dragons game but the interesting point of it was that there's basically only humans in it as the races. Yeah, I'm just, I tend to have difficulty, in fact, doing fantastic stories with tremendously fantastic elements. I've always been a bit more along the lines of, well, I don't want to compare myself to anyone actually, but less Tolkien and more, it could be historic fantasy, if you like. But in that process of writing that novel, this most recent time where I actually completed it, the thing that really inspired me that I was reading about the history of the Magna Carta and there was this unrest and conflict amongst the lords of England and Scotland and Wales, the United Kingdom, let's say, where, uh, now I'm going to get this terribly wrong and any history buffs out there is going to tell me off, but I'm trying to remember from, there's a few years ago I did this, but basically the king went and decided to take some land and gave some stuff to the church and I think basically booted a, a lord out and said, yeah, you're not really a lord anymore. And you can well imagine then that all the other lords of the realm or, or a vast number of them said to themselves, hang on, the king can just do that, can just take everything we have off us for no reason except pure whim and we're supposed to support this king. Hmm, that doesn't sound right. So there was a bit of argy-bargy and it looked like there's going to be a, a major civil war. Because the Lord's basically said, you, you can't be doing this. We're supposed to be supporting you in a feudal arrangement where we, you know, f uh, what do you call it, you know, square fealty and 
provide manpower and loyalty and blood. And then you're supposed to look after us. But if you can just turn around and do whatever you like, uh, I'm not sure how that arrangement's going to work. The result of it was, rather than having a big bloody fight, now there, was, there were some fights for sure, but they wrote up a document which basically came down to saying the king cannot unduly and without due cause uh, you know, remove property. And in fact, I think it says you, the, the king can't even unlord someone. So a, a noble family stays a noble family until there's none of them left. And prior to that, there's... You know, the king's got to keep the hands off. Uh, this also introduces the concept of a jury of peers. Peers meaning peers of the realm, for example. So if a lord is going to get in trouble and have some penalty applied, then they get tried according to other lords who come along and, and they all confer and figure out what the best way of moving forward is rather than the king just arbitrarily deciding things however they feel like. So I love this. This, this really got me thinking because... In this story that I was writing, there was a, a number of conflicts brewing, uh, including a, an impending civil war. And I really like the idea of the civil war being headed off before it becomes a, an actual open warfare and bad blood is made forever between all the lords and the kings and, and so on. I thought, you know, it'd be so much cooler if all of that was building up and, all that, and they end up just signing a document and they get peace. And become reasonable. And this isn't really a problem because there's there's other there's obviously um, other conflicts, supernatural conflicts, being that this is a fantasy, and you don't have a fantasy without magic. So I I really drew heavily from the history of the Magna Carta there. I also was read a few other histories, and I was trying to make a um, a society. So there's an empire in there, and I was trying to make a society that wasn't a rebranding of an existing human society, but would still work and be reasonable to anyone who was somewhat aware of how human societies work. Now, I, now I want to write this science fiction novel, and as you you probably get the idea here that my my brain and if you're a creative person yourself, like a writer or an artist or something, you're probably in the same boat that you have more ideas than you have talent, basically. But I'm really, you know, I've written a epic fantasy, I've written a, uh, a couple of these um, sort of urban contemporary fantasies. I really want to write a science fiction, and I love science, hard science, real honest-to-goodness physics and chemistry, and I want to write a novel that explores a few of these ideas. One of them is uh, black hole generators. So a paper was put forward, and I haven't haven't pulled up the author at the moment, but there was a, it was an exploration of the idea of generating black holes for fun and profit. <laughs> Not really fun and profit, but for industrial use. Industrial black holes. Because you can imagine the Large Hadron Collider, there was talk there that it was capable of having collisions that could create black holes. And then people got all spooked thinking the world would be destroyed. But they're very small black holes in that situation. But someone put forward this idea, well, how about we actually create, like out in space, in orbit around the sun, some sort of way of creating a black hole that we sustain by feeding it, and in turn it releases, uh, so you put matter into it, and out pops energy. And that really excited me because the author pointed out the first black hole would be really difficult to make, very expensive. 
We actually have the technology now to hypothetically do it, but it would be fabulously expensive. But if we did do it, then the next black hole would be that much cheaper because we'd have a black hole to feed into the next one. And so basically by the time we had four black holes, we would have a black hole industry capable of producing black holes very cheaply, which could be used to power spaceships and a whole new industry of very low-cost energy. And I really love that idea. But even more so is a recent article where there's someone has put forward an experiment to test the theory of mirror matter and a mirror universe. And this, if you don't know anything about this, if you haven't heard this, then you're about to be treated. Treated? You're about to have a treat. So the idea is, if we look at our universe and look at how everything's moving relative to each other, and then we extrapolate backwards, it all comes back to a point, the Big Bang. Well, that's the whole idea. So, yeah. Same as if you saw a tennis ball in flight heading one direction, then you could, based on you know, plot a few points of where it's going, you could go backwards and find out where it was thrown from. So if you do that to all of the stars and galaxies that we can see, it all comes back to this point about what, what, 15 billion years ago or something along those lines. But the problem is when you calculate how fast everything's moving and how much matter we have, we can see, we realize that we're actually missing a whole bunch of stuff. Everything's moving, I think, 9% faster than it should do. And there's uh, light is being bent in ways that would suggest gravity from things, but we can't see those things. And so this this brought up the idea of like dark matter, for example, which is this stuff that we use to fill in the gaps. The next part of this is interestingly enough, our universe is left-handed. So let's see. I want to try and sort of get this uh, worked out about this, but okay. So well, basically, our, our little particles, say neutrons, electrons, what have you, tend to spin left to right, like clockwise, more so than we'd expect. We'd, we'd expect something of a symmetry. A, a, these things can spin left or right, but they've by and large all spin left. And we also notice that in chemistry, our uh, naturally formed chemicals and molecules all tend to have a left chirality. So their molecular structure tends to be what they call left-handed. So where's all the right-handed matter? Okay, so then based on the laws of physics, symmetry uh, is sort of this fundamental feature that we expect. And yet when we observe it, we don't see this symmetry. And so there's this theory which it, which is about mirror matter. And mirror particles interact with themselves like ordinary particles, but only very weakly with regular particles, which is... yeah. I won't go... So when they say interact weakly, so they have mass, which means they produce gravity. Uh, they also have a very... Uh, because of the way matter is created, they have a very weak electromagnetic force that they exert as well. But the thing is, how do we test this? Because the problem is that uh, right-handed you know, mirror photons won't interact with left-handed matter. So there's a couple of experiments that people are trying to do. One is in Switzerland, led by Professor Klaus Kirsch, and one by Dr. Lee Broussard that will soon take place in the Oak Ridge National Laboratory. So they're both looking for the existence of mirror neutrons. And neutrons are they're one of those little buggers at the center of your atom. And if a neutron is not in an atom but freely moving around, it will decay into a proton and 
an electron. But depending on how this decay is measured, we get two different values for the average life of that free neutron. It's either 14 minutes and 39 seconds, which is quite specific, or 14 minutes and 48 seconds. So these estimates are based on uh, this experiment where it's called the bottle experiment, where a weak magnetic field is used to you know, push these neutrons into a what they call a bottle trap, and the neutron beam experiment where they are instead shot at a det detector. And so you, f you find out how long they live before they become pr uh, protons and electrons. And so we've got this nine second difference though, and that could be attributed to a mirror neutron. The reasoning is that the bottle trap counts how many neutrons are left after a time, and in the neutron beam, the researchers count the number of protons that come out. So if neutrons are able to transform into a mirror version between emission and detection, then suddenly the proton count will be skewed, leading to a difference. Yeah, you can imagine, because if, if a neutron turned into a mirror neutron and then decayed, you wouldn't get a proton from that. So in that case, you get fewer protons, uh, which might make it look like it takes a bit longer for neutrons to turn into protons. So this ability to oscillate into a mirror version might even be more likely in the presence of electromagnetic fields. So Kirsch's experiment looked at that. In a, neutron in a neutron trap, they had varying magnetic fields to see if they could observe changes in the number of particles. The data has been collected and is now being analysed. Don't have an answer. Brassard's experiment will test its os this oscillation. So a neutron beam will be shot at a target that neutrons cannot possibly penetrate. If the neutrons oscillate, some might be able to cross the barrier and be detected on the other side. So you could imagine then, if you were to shoot a neutron at a, the equivalent of a brick wall, normally you'd expect you'd, you'd bang into that and not get through. But if it went to the mirror version of the neutron and then back again, it would still be traveling because you're just changing uh, the way, the nature of its interactions, not its momentum. It would be detected on the other side. Yeah, you know, it would turn into like a, a a ghost neutron. So Brassard's interest in neutron, you know, it goes beyond the possibility of them being an excellent testing ground for the mirror matter hypothesis. Uh, neutrons might actually help test the limits of the current model of physics and find out why matter is so much more abundant than antimatter. Because this is one of the problems, of course, is that uh, in a in a given, let's call it a vacuum, you've got oscillations at the zero point. Uh, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but anyway. Matter appears and disappears, even though it's apparently a vacuum. There's a, um, a potential. And you'd expect basically uh, a positive and an anti-matter uh, to appear and annihilate. Every now and then, you'd expect that some other influence would make them fly apart, like they pass through a gravity well or something along those lines. In which case, you should have, you should basically have equal amounts of antimatter and matter. But we have almost no antimatter uh, in nature. But you can think then, if we're talking mirror particles able to transition in what they can interact with, but they still have gravity, the mind just wonders at, imagine a, uh, a spaceship or, or some sort of device able to flip matter between mirror and non-mirror universes. And that the theory is that mirror matter could be made up making up planets and stars and you know, um, solar systems and galaxies and things. It's just the same as the matter we have, but it just doesn't interact with us. So in that sense, it's kind of like 
in a lot of these science fiction shows are these alternate universes that people get to where the the evil twin lives type of thing. I don't think that would actually that isn't actually what happens, but but the idea is that you could have something that could flip matter between these two universes, and that's a, that's a story. There's a story waiting to be done. That well, that's a world in which a story can happen. Okay, moving on from that, as you can tell, I'm I'm very excited by that. That's just it totally blows my mind. And the more I read about mirror matter and these experiments that are being done, the more excited I get. So I had another one though, where I was reading about how uh, various people have woken from comas in morgues, in body bags. And I really liked this idea of the main character of a story waking up in a body bag on a pile of bodies being taken to a mass grave. Uh, quite grim, but this was the this was the basic spark that fired my imagination for well the working title is Angel Bones, and it's sort of a it's sort of my superhero story, but it's it's a bit more of an urban fantasy, I suppose you might say. And I, I got it. For example, here's a here's a little story here news story. So Spanish prison authorities are baffled after a prisoner who was declared dead by three separate doctors woke up in the morgue just hours before his own autopsy was set to commence. The prisoner, 29-year-old Gonzalo Montoya Jimenez was found unresponsive in his cell during a morning roll call and has been transferred to a hospital mortuary in a body bag when pathologists heard some strange snoring. Yeah, he was snoring in his bag. And again, I'm thinking, and you do some searches, and this is not that uncommon a thing where, where people get pronounced dead, and it turns out they're actually in some kind of uh, torporous slumber, and they'll wake up later. And I got to thinking, I was thinking, well, what if someone was the guinea pig in an experiment which was supposed to well basically give them superpowers right but this experiment is just a long series of experiments and a lot of dead people and so this guy he he wakes up in a body bag he's been transported in a truck filled with corpses of fellow failed experiments but turns out he's he succeeded so there are there we go i mean i thought that was that was very exciting i really get to think about a lot of these things while i'm walking my dog as it turns out it's quite Quite a good time to think. And the final story is another novel I've written. Uh, uh, have not done uh, anything more than the first draft on. Called Chaos Flux. Again, that's a working title. So this one here was because, and I'm sure you've probably seen this. So it's a classic experiment where a group of people were asked to watch uh, a bunch of people playing basketball and count how many times a ball is passed between people. And about half the people tested don't notice that a woman in a gorilla suit walked through the middle of the screen during the game because they're so focused on trying to count the ball passes that this utterly ridiculous thing, which should stand out like a sore thumb, happens. So I've got this idea then that there's these people who are able to basically pierce the veil. They can see more of the world or an alternate set of the world. Uh, and that other world is populated by, for lack of a term, monsters that are in part responsible for many of many of the, the f things we observe. And they all, in some way or another, feed off humanity. They're kind of our antimatter, if you will. And some of these monsters are quite horrendous, literally eating people, uh, or drinking blood, you know, vampires, werewolfy type of things. Uh, or some of them are sort of psychic vampires that, that drain people's will. Uh, but also, and then just, just things like that eat our footprints or um, live off our happiness and joy, that sort of thing. So it's kind of this this other world happening and uh, the main character, she discovers 
she's able to see this and she's actually wrapped up in a sort of a an ongoing story that's involving these monsters so there you go that, that's that's some of the things that have sparked stories or driven my imagination and i usually do think of this while i'm walking the dog or i'm going for my run and i said last week i was talking about the different brain states that's so that's where i've dropped out of the beta function which is your your highly analytical highly aroused mind that's really working hard you drop back down to that more relaxed state where you're getting a bit more zen about things you don't have those fixed barriers and rules in place and that's what i when i'm walking my dog i'm just walking on the beach by myself uh, or when i'm going for a run uh, or if i'm sitting on the train with my headphones in and i just sort of close my eyes for a bit just let my brain drift for a while and i just imagine lots of different scenarios with these writing prompts if you will so how about if you're really keen you can let me know what some of your sort of inspiration points are or or some of the things that have inspired your work you can get a hold of me at gravity undone on twitter or facebook or at my creativity pod on twitter or you can email me sorry at gravityundone.net i'll be here all week uh while i'm talking about it my shop has officially launched the links are up on gravityundone.net uh, i've announced it on you know facebook and twitter and things it's shop dot gravityundone.net and there you can get a hold of uh, my books as they come out plus some of the books that i've talked about on this show that have been very influential to me uh, there's also some you know some t-shirts and and mugs and and other bits and pieces if you really feel that it would be good to help me get along maybe pay some of my hosting fees or just show me that you care you could buy something it'd be m- most spectacular so next week's goals let's do the 10 kilometer run because i've got to work my way up to uh this sort of 16 kilometers yeah uh, i need to there's actually there's a voice in exit plan three episode two that i need to get recorded so i'm going to do that come hill or high water record uh the characters rachel i'm going to let's see i'm going to finish draft two of book two book two draft two complete yeah and i'm going to actually here's a judgment day that i was working on let's see if i don't mess it up too badly that wasn't too bad i've been practicing that a bit of course the recorded version i did today was a bit better than that so i'm going to do more of that judgment day i've actually decided that 136 bpm or i guess that's 68 bpm at double time if you like is about the way to go and what else am i going to do man i know that's i'm going to put those three down and as usual i'm going to come there'll be additional stuff i do no doubt but let's concentrate on getting my book two draft two done uh judgment day recorded recording rachel for exit plan and doing a 10 kilometer run so till then have fun look out for where your inspiration comes from and see ya